reading is taken from Luke chapter 4, verse 42, to chapter 5, verse 11. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to him where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding round him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of them, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out to a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signalled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Amen. I want to begin by reading to you an email um, that I received a long time ago now. And it's a circular email, one that you usually sort of delete straight away, put in the recycle bin. Uh, But I kept this one, and I'm glad I kept it, because the challenge within it has stayed with me to this day. I'm going to read it out to you. And it's part of a letter that an American soldier serving in the forces somewhere out in the Gulf, a letter that he wrote back to a Christian friend. And this is what he puts. The good news is no longer good news. It is okay news. Christianity is no longer life-changing. It is life-enhancing. Jesus doesn't change people into wide-eyed radicals anymore. He changes them into nice people. If Christianity is simply about being nice, I'm not interested. What happened to radical Christianity? The unnice brand of Christianity that turned the world upside down. What happened to the category-smashing, life-threatening, anti-institutional gospel that spread through the first century like wildfire and was considered as dangerous. What happened to the kind of Christians whose hearts were on fire, who had no fear, who spoke the truth no matter what the consequence, who made the world uncomfortable, who were willing to follow Jesus wherever he went? 
What happened to the kind of Christians who were filled with passion and gratitude and whom every day were unable to get over the grace of God? God never promises us an easy time, just a safe arrival. So whether in Burundi or the USA or the UK or South Africa, the challenge is the same for us all. We're all in a spiritual war, whether we realise it or not. So we must live alert as on a battleship and not complacent as on a cruise ship. Not complacent as on a cruise ship. So I don't know what you make of the language there, but I think the challenge that comes out of the little extract of that letter, hopefully it resonates with you this evening. Because here's a guy, a soldier... Every single day of his life, he's living, he's working, he's serving alongside a group of people who are fully committed to the cause of their country, the cause of the President of the US. And as he sees how that flows out into their actions, so he asks the question for the Christians. What does this look like for the church? Do we see in the people of God... A group of people who are committed to the cause. Not the cause of the president, not the cause of the country, not the cause of the queen, but the cause of Christ. Do we see a people committed to the cause of Christ in this world? I wonder. And so the question I'd love to open up with this evening is a question that I want you to ask yourself, and it's a question we all need to ask ourselves. And it's on the screen behind Am I, are you, are we fully committed to the cause of Christ in this world? And I underline the word fully for my sake as much as yours, because I think it's easy-ish to be partially committed, to be half committed, to be sometimes committed, to be committed on a Sunday, to be committed on a weeknight maybe, serving at a youth group, to be committed from time to time. But will we be a people who are fully Committed to Christ in all of life. Every single aspect of our being. Because you see, in Luke chapter 5 this evening, we see an encounter with Christ. We see a man, Peter, who in verse 2 is sat on the fringes of what's going on. As he sat there at the end of the night's fishing, he's cleaned his nets and Jesus is preaching beside the Sea of Galilee. And Peter's half interested. He's got an ear listening to what's going on. But through an encounter with Christ, Peter is radically transformed. He is changed from an idle bystander to someone who says, it's all for Christ. He leaves the biggest catch of his life, he leaves his business and he says, it's all for Jesus. And on he goes and follows Jesus wherever he went. And it is my prayer this evening as we work through, as we walk through indeed, Luke chapter 5 we too would have an encounter with Christ. As we meet him in his word, as we're challenged by him, as our eyes are open to see the fullness of who he is and all he has done in such a way that will move us to live lives that are fully committed to the cause of Christ in this world. And if that's going to happen, I think there's four things that stand out in this passage. Four things that we must do or four attitudes that we must adopt if we're going to be fully committed to Christ in this world. And here's the first one. We must be a people who share the priority of Jesus. Makes sense, right? Unless I understand what Jesus is committed to, 
Unless I understand what his priorities are, I cannot be committed to the cause of Christ. I can't be. So I need to know what was Jesus' cause. What was Jesus all about? What was Jesus' priority during his time here on earth? And the answer, I think, is given to us at the end of chapter 4. Verse 42 to 44. Let me read it to you again. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Here's Jesus on the back of a couple of busy days. We heard it from Alan last week. Round Capernaum, he's been healing, he's been casting out evil spirits. Droves of people have been flocking to the feet of Jesus with a word, with a touch. They're put right. It's been a busy couple of days. So you see what Jesus does at the start of verse 42? At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. As he does so often on the back of a heavy day's ministry, Jesus retreats probably to pray to his Father in heaven firstly and to remind himself of what he's all about before he re-enters this world to continue on his mission. But as he's there, look, the people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving. The people like, Jesus, stay with us. We want you to stay in our towns. Not surprising, right? I reckon if someone rocked up to Long Crendon this week, started doing the things that Jesus was doing, you'd want him to stay. Because where Jesus was, evil was cast out. Where Jesus was, bad stuff stopped happening. Where Jesus was, people were made well. Sick people were healed. And they want to keep hold of Jesus. It's not surprising, is it? But you see what Jesus says to them, verse 43. He says, friends, I can't. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also. Because that is why I was sent. I've got to move on. I've got to move on because I've got to preach the gospel elsewhere as well. You see, one day, friends, the Lord Jesus will return. He will return from from heaven a second time. And on that day, evil once and for all be cast out. It will be no more. Sickness will be no more. There will be no need for doctors or nurses to heal the unwell or lawyers to sort out misjustice or policemen to keep order or morticians or undertakers, there will be no need for these people. Because when Jesus returns, these things will be sorted out once and for all. But, until that day arrives, Jesus says, this is what we must be all about. This was what Jesus was all about during his ministry on earth. It was the advancement of the kingdom of God. You see it there, don't you? I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus says, I want to advance God's kingdom. I want to talk about the gospel. I want to talk about myself. I want to advance the rule of God in this world. I want to see lost people come into God's kingdom to know and love Jesus and embrace him for themselves. I want to see Christians built up to maturity in Christ to go and live for Jesus in this world. I want to see the kingdom of God advance in this world. And so the question we've got to ask ourselves is, is that our priority? 
Because it was Jesus's. And if we're going to be committed to the cause of Christ, I've got to share in the priorities of Jesus. You see, I think we live in a world that is more content on building its own status, building its own identity, a world that is more precious about building its bank account or a future pension fund or its own new business empire or a new house to cater for the ever-growing family. And these are not bad things, but these sometimes become our priority in life. And Jesus says, no, there is one priority. And it is the advancement of the kingdom of God in this world. And it couldn't come at a more pertinent time, could it, for us, as we think about the development of the new church building here. For those that were here on Thursday, what a lovely, encouraging night it was to step back and remind ourselves of our vision and what we're all about, to see the kingdom of God advance in this world. What a lovely thing to remind ourselves of that. The church building is here in order to serve the advancement of the kingdom in this world. To serve Jesus' greatest priority. So I ask us again, is that our priority in life? And will it be evident in the way that we live? In the way that we speak about Jesus? In the way that we live for Jesus? In the way that we interact with people that don't know Jesus? In the way that we talk about Jesus with other Christians during our normal life? Will it be obvious in us that our greatest priority is the same as Jesus? The advancement of his kingdom. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Not only to be a people who share the priority of Jesus, but to be a people who trust in the words of Jesus. Luke chapter 5. Not surprising to see what Jesus is up to now after talking about the importance of proclaiming the gospel. What do we find Jesus doing in verse 1 to 3? He's teaching again. Jesus is teaching beside the Sea of Galilee. And his teaching is so dynamic, it's so dramatic, it's so insightful, it's so faithful, it's so God-centred, that the crowds are amassing once more on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. So many, in fact, that in verse 3, Jesus has to find himself a new pulpit. And he jumps into the boat with Simon Peter, and he gets pushed out a little way from the shore, and he sits down on his boat, and he teaches the people the word of God and they're listening to him. But look what happens next in verse 4. The sermon comes to a close. The people drift away to their normal day, their normal life, we presume. And Jesus homes in on Peter. He homes in on Peter, who, while he's been speaking, has been sat there, half an ear listening to what's going on. Not really with Jesus, not against him, but he's sat there and he's cleaning his nets after a hard day's work. And Jesus homes in on Peter. You see, Jesus' ministry, yes, it's a public ministry. He preaches to the masses, but it's a personal ministry as well. And he goes directly to Peter. He identifies him. And do you see what he says from him in verse 4? Put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Can you imagine how that had been received by Peter? He's been out all night on the seas of Galilee and he's not even caught a tiddler. Now he's washed his nets, getting ready for the next night duty and Jesus bowls over a carpenter of all people. Here comes a carpenter and he walks up to a pro fisherman, Peter. He's lived his life out on the sea of Galilee. He says, Peter, get back out. 
Get back out and throw your nets out there. Can you imagine how Peter would have felt? Jesus, who are you? Who are you to walk into my world? This is a world I know. This is a world I understand. I know exactly what I'm doing, thank you very much. But Jesus walks in and says, no, Peter, listen to me. Go and throw your nets back out. And you notice a a note of reluctance, maybe, in Peter's language. Yes, maybe, but there's willingness as well, is there not? Because Peter listens to what Jesus said, and he goes and throws his nets back out. Against all worldly wisdom, against his own natural instincts, here is Peter. Jesus invades his world, a world that he knows, yet Peter trusts in the words of Jesus. Even when he thought, nah. You see, Peter wasn't a fully committed follower of Jesus just yet. He wasn't. But he knew enough about Jesus. He'd heard enough from Jesus. He'd seen enough of Jesus to know that Jesus was worth listening to. What about you? Listening to Jesus? Nets out, half an ear in? Are you listening to the words of Jesus and are you willing to put your trust in them? Because contained within these few verses is one of the fundamentals of Christian discipleship. It is to be a people who simply trust in the words of Jesus ahead of all worldly wisdom, ahead of all natural instincts, just to say, yes, Jesus knows best. He knows best. And he always knows best. One of the greatest servants of the gospel I've ever met is a guy called Howie Willis. You won't know him. 78-year-old boy who has served on our summer sports plus camps uh, for the last 16 years of his life. Never seen him really speak publicly or openly, but he is just the greatest warrior behind the scenes. You know the sort of people. The greatest servant of the gospel you can imagine. And I had the privilege a couple of years ago of hearing Howie Willis, age 76 he was then, share his testimony with a group of young lads, one of which had just become a Christian. And here's 76-year-old Howie Willis talking to these boys about what it means to follow Christ. And one of them, the guy that just become a Christian, asked such a penetrating question. Here's a guy at the start of his Christian journey, 12, 13 years old he was. Just become a Christian, new as you like. And he says to Howie Willis, age 76, how do you keep going? How are you still following Jesus today? And Howie just said, I'll wake up today and I'll trust in the words of Jesus. And I'll wake up tomorrow and I'll trust in the words of Jesus. And I'll get up the day after that, God willing, and I'll trust in the words of Jesus. That's it. Howie simply trusts in the word of Jesus. That is what the Christian walk is like in life. And he said, you know what? Jesus has never let me down. Through all the trials and struggles of life, I've just trusted and he has held me in the tightest of grips throughout. And I will walk with him tomorrow as well. And you see this little lad, he's looking like that. He's he's delighted. What a legend is Howie Willis. To be legends for Christ, to be committed to the cause of Christ, is just to be people who get up and say, I'm just going to trust Jesus ahead of everything else in life. 
I'm going to live by his word, I'm going to submit to his word, and I'm going to obey his word. And big things will happen. To be committed to the cause of Christ is firstly to share the priority of Jesus. Secondly, is to trust the words of Jesus. And maybe most importantly, thirdly, it is to marvel at the supremacy of Jesus. To marvel at his supremacy... As I'm reading this, and this is one of the great things that someone told me about reading the Bible, just look out for the things that surprise you when you read the Bible. And as I read this story, you know the thing that surprised me most? (laughs) It's the biggest catch of Simon Peter's life, if you read on. The nets go out, and the boat is being pulled under the water with the weight of the fish, and the friends are scurrying around on the shore, and they're jumping to their boats, they're coming out as well, and they're hauling the fish in. The likes of the people in the Sea of Galilee have never seen it before. It is the biggest catch of fish you've ever witnessed. What do you expect Peter to do now? Start goggling over his fish, get down the market, sell them, set up his new business empire. Where is he going to go with this? What a start to life this is for Peter. Look at the resources he's got at his disposal. But not for one minute does he focus on the fish. Because Peter drops at the knees of Jesus. And he is in awe at the person of Christ. He marvels at him. Because in that moment, Peter knows that he has come face to face with greatness. He's looked into the very eyes of God himself. And Peter is humbled to the point that he could do nothing but drop to his knees in the presence of greatness. And he says, Lord, get away from me. Because in the light of the greatness and the glory and the supremacy of God, there is nothing to do but bow the knee in humble submission and say, God, I am not worthy. Not worthy to be in your presence. Does it bring back memories of the prophet Isaiah for you from Isaiah chapter 6? The commission of God's great prophet, do you remember it? Isaiah, you're my boy. You're the guy that's going to go to the nation of Israel and you're going to tell them about my judgment to come. You're going to tell them about the hope of salvation. You're going to tell them about the suffering servant who's going to come, come and sort out the problems of this world. And he gives Isaiah the most wonderful vision of himself, of God, in Isaiah 6 verse 1. This is our only cross-reference if you want to go there. Isaiah 6 verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, here's Isaiah speaking, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. What did Isaiah need most in his commissioning process before he went out? He needed to gain a greater vision of God. And so God takes him away and he gives him this vision of God. The throne of heaven filled with the glory of God. And do you see how Isaiah responds in verse 5? Same as Peter, yeah? Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. My eyes have seen God. In that moment, when Jesus invaded Peter's comfortable little fishing world, Peter realised who Jesus was. He saw the King of glory. He saw the creator of this world. He saw a God who is beyond all things, who can dictate the very path the fishes of the sea, the sea, the sea, the sea, swim in. A God who is in charge of all things. And Peter marvels at the supremacy of Christ. 
You see, you might be thinking, like Peter, not worthy. I'm not worthy, let alone to be in God's presence, let alone to be on his team, to serve him, to be with him. See what Jesus says to Peter? Verse 10, don't be afraid. Peter, you're not worthy. You're not worthy to be in my presence. But I'm going to make you worthy because you're the sort of person that I came for. I came for the likes of you. You're the very person I want on my team, Peter. Someone who's been humbled by the greatness of God, who has been broken to the very core of their being, who has had their sin exposed before him, and says, God is great. And it's all for him. Jesus came for the likes of me and the likes of you. He came for sinners, as we learn later on. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. That's who the Lord Jesus came for. He came for the sick. If we, my friends, are going to be a people committed to the cause of Christ in this world, we need a larger vision of Jesus. We need to understand more the greatness of God as he has revealed himself in his one and only son, Jesus Christ, and all he came to do. Not just a God who is great beyond great and big beyond big and magnificence in his presence, but a God who in himself humbled himself to come down to this world. To lay down his life on a cross for a broken people in a dying world. Is that not the sort of person you want to follow? It's the sort of person I want to follow. But I fail to follow him as I should so often. Why? Because my view of Jesus is so small and my view of myself is so big. We need to be a people who are humbled by the greatness of God and who he is. Who are brought to our knees before him. And then realise that through Jesus' death on the cross, we can be forgiven. We can be a part of his team and we can serve the king and the creator of this world. To be fully committed to the cause of Christ, it is to share in Jesus' priority, it is to trust in his words, and it is to marvel at his supremacy. And lastly, and most briefly, when you understand those things, there is only one thing left to do, and it is this, to join the mission of Jesus. To join his mission. And do you see what his mission is? Jesus' mission is fishing. That's what his mission is. It's fishing. But what a mission to be a part of. Because Jesus walks into Peter's world and he says, you're going to be doing quite a similar thing, Peter, but forget about the fish. Because now, Peter, you're going to be a fisher of men. I'm calling you to get out into this world to seek and save the lost, to advance God's kingdom, to be someone who throws out the gospel net who lives for Jesus in all of life and prayerfully watches to see who God brings into his kingdom. And that's what he calls me and you to tonight, as we gain a greater vision of Jesus, to be humbled by him and to say, yeah, Jesus, I'm up for it. I want to be on your team. I understand what Jesus has done on the cross. And I want other people to understand it as well. What a mission to be a part of. Is there any other greater mission in the whole of this world? No, there's not. It is the mission that stands above all of the missions. But there's one final challenge, look, in verse 11. There is a cost to joining the mission of Jesus. 
So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Peter, humbled by the greatness of God, doesn't think twice about the resources he needs to build his new business empire. He just says it's all for Jesus. His cause, his priority, his future in heaven. That's what my life is going to be about from now on in. And he leaves everything and he follows his Lord and his Saviour. What does that look like for us? Doesn't necessarily mean that you have to leave the job you're doing. It doesn't. But it means in the job you're doing, Jesus takes priority. In the doctor's surgery, in the lawyer practice, in the school that you work in, in the office that you work in. Whatever you are doing, it means Jesus takes priority. The greatest priority is fishing to see men and women know Christ and live for him as Lord and Saviour. That is it. That is the mission that we're a part of. But it may mean for you that it means giving up more than that. It may mean giving up greater worldly treasures to seek the greatest treasure of all. Others coming to know Christ as Lord and Saviour. And that's for you to work through on your own, personally and prayerfully. But for every single one of us, at its least, it means this. Jesus takes priority over everything in life. Because his mission is greater than any other mission. And so the last question I'm going to ask you before the band come up and we sing is this. Do you want to be a part of it? Do you want to be a part of the greatest mission of all? The mission of fishing. It's the church's job. This is our job and it is our joy for the rest of our days that God grants us on this world till he comes back and makes all things new.